The following is a hoop ball presentation. Hello and welcome to the Hoopball Minnesota Timberwolves podcast. My name is Stuart Burkhart. I'm your host. You can follow me on Twitter at beefstu69. It's B-E-E-F-S-T-U-6-9. Joining me today for the inaugural episode of the Hoopball Minnesota Timberwolves podcast is Ben of Locked On Wolves, one of my favorite Wolves podcasts. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm living the dream, man. Living the dream. So let's jump right in here. I uh, want to talk first about Chris Finch. Obviously, came over just before the All-Star break. Didn't even have a practice before his first game. So now that he's had a little bit of time to work things out, what are your thoughts on the changes Chris Finch has made so far? I think particularly, you know, you're going to want to talk about Carl Anthony Towns probably and the way that he's utilizing him. So what are your thoughts so far on the Chris Finch era and how that's looked a lot better here in the second half? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a big part of it is just the professionalism of of the team and the fact that they've been competitive and they've been in, you know, obviously the first game, I guess the Milwaukee game, there were a couple of Charlotte right before the All-Star break where that wasn't necessarily the case, um, but for the most part, at least certainly since the All-Star break, the team's been a lot more competitive, um, and that that obviously goes a really long way. Um, and, you know, defensively, you know, same defensive coordinator, same coaching staff. So David Vanterpool, obviously the associate head coach and defensive coordinator. So they've done a few different things defensively, but it's it's the same coaching staff outside of Chris Finch. And so it's, it's a little bit of his influence. He's talked a little bit, um, you know, in, in his media sessions about wanting to try some different things defensively and, and adjusting based on um, opponent. Uh, just recently, he's been playing Nas Reed and Carl Anthony Towns together a lot more, which I think the concern previously, and, and I guess still depending on matchups is how will that work defensively? Nas Reed isn't the best you know, defender and, and so having him defend fours can sometimes be tricky and, and how, you know, some of those different things, but Finch even said this last, this last weekend, when they split the the two games against Portland, he said, we wanted to dictate, we wanted to play our big lineup and, and dictate the terms of that. We weren't going to just play small because they were playing small and it worked and they won on Sunday against Portland. So um, I think the willingness to just kind of do what they want to do just because instead of saying, Oh shoot, they're playing small. We have to play smaller, you know, to get the best five players on the floor together as much as possible. And sometimes that's Nas Reed and sometimes it's somebody else at the four. And I think that's one major difference. And then offensively, just even running through the offense through Cat even more frequently than they were before. And and now Finch hasn't coached D'Angelo Russell yet. And so we'll see how that works. But um, I, I think without D'Lo on the court, certainly we've seen we've seen the Wolves run through run the offense through towns almost exclusively. And, and I think that that's been a really welcome change as well. Yeah, totally. And I do want to also just going back to D'Lo mentioned that, you know, there's been a lot of consternation among Wolves fans about him being sort of a, a black hole on offense. Do you think that perhaps that has something to do with coaching or do you think that's just sort of like, well, he's a good player and he's kind of a black hole on offense and we, we take it for what it is? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I mean, that's what Angel Russell does is he he's a high usage guard that shoots a lot of mid-range jumpers and three-pointers. He doesn't get into the paint a lot. He can create for others, and he's a really good passer when he does. I mean, going back to his days at Ohio State, he was one of the best passers in the country in college, and he can do those things. But 
but he likes to score the basketball and he scores in a pretty specific way. Um, and, and so, yeah, that, that to me, until we see him play with towns, it's really tough to say, but when towns wasn't on the court and it was D'Angelo Russell was option one, a one B and one C for the Timberwolves, basically, um, with Ryan Saunders coaching and no towns, obviously they were okay with him just running pick and roll after pick and roll. And they were okay with him, you know, jacking up shot after shot down the stretch of games. And that was basically the wolves offense. And, and it was, in some ways defensible defensible because he was the best individual offensive player available for Ryan Saunders. But, um, and also because he's really good at scoring that way. Um, he's one of the better mid range jump shooters in the NBA. He's one of the better pick and roll operators in the NBA in terms of scoring. But the problem is that he doesn't draw fouls. He doesn't get into the paint. And so sometimes he's not all that efficient if his, if his shot isn't working that night and, and he's not getting others involved. And when the talent around him wasn't very good, which, which was the case outside of Malik Beasley, um, you know, and Anthony Edwards wasn't playing great early in the season. It's understandable that he took over games so much. And we don't know how much of that was. I mean, there was the one example of a game where I think seven of eight possessions in the fourth quarter was D'Angelo Russell just shooting the ball. And Anthony Edwards touched the ball one time in the fourth quarter of a close game earlier this season. I think this was like in January and Towns wasn't available. Those types of instances is when the coach has to step in and say, hey, look, we're going to try running this. And yeah, D'Lo, you're our first option, but if the, if it's not there, we're going to run, you know, whatever. We're going to get Beasley a, a corner three or whatever. Um, and it, it almost seemed as though that, that just didn't happen. Like that conversation didn't happen. And we heard a little bit after the fact or, or towards the end of Saunders' tenure that he and D'Lo didn't see eye to eye necessarily. And part of that was probably because Saunders wanted to play a certain way and, and D'Angelo Russell likes to play a certain way. So that's why it's so hard to judge until we see a Towns and Russell play together. They've played five games together in 13 months and B see Finch coach D'Angelo Russell. Um, so it's, it's hard to say for sure, but there's certainly a little bit of both. Um, and D D'Angelo is good at what he does. The question is, will it fit with a Chris Finch offense and with a, with a Carl Anthony Towns centric offense? Yeah. And that's the hope. Obviously I'm sure the, Timberwolves fans listening are just hoping and praying that they can get to finally see this D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns experiment. And especially once we've got Malik Beasley back with Anthony Edwards, then we can actually see we've got these four really good offensive players. Let's actually see what they can do together. The team is like 26th in offensive rating right now. And I think that's not going to be the case once we have all four of those guys in the lineup at the same time. Speaking of Finch's lineups there's a lot of guys that I think have been utilized they started to utilize under Saunders as well um, but have been utilized more so than we expected at the beginning of the season I personally did not expect to see really any Jared Vanderbilt and now he's starting for the team here halfway through the season just over halfway through the season so um could you speak a little bit to that you know the young guys Jared Vanderbilt Jalen Noel Jaden McDaniels um and then I want to get an Anthony Edwards after that but specifically those sort of you know, young guys who we expected to be bench players and the role they've had stepping up to kind of fill those gaps that have been left by honestly lack of signing anyone or making moves for guys. Yeah, it, it's it's still kind of a tough thing to parse to know which one of, you know, are these guys playing well because it's because they're getting the minutes and, and that's they're who the Wolves have to play and our Wolves fans just talking themselves into, Oh man, these guys have such high ceilings and they're going to be rotation guys and starters, or are they actually going to be solid NBA players or are they solid NBA players? Um, we'll get a better sense once the team is, is whole. And once Finch gets a few more games under his belt, I think we're already starting to see that two and two since the all-star break four competitive games that they've played. 
Um, and I think the answer is a little bit different for all three of them. I, I do think Jared Vanderbilt is a rotation player on a good NBA team. I don't think he's a starter and he's not playing heavy minutes now anyway. I think it's more just setting the tone for the Timberwolves. Uh, Finch wants to set the tone early in the game of defense, of hustle, of um, athleticism and, and running the floor. And Vanderbilt does all of those things really well. Then as the game wears on, he, he plays the matchups a little bit more. I think Vanderbilt's a good enough defender and he's bouncy and he's, he can do all those different things. Um, and so I think he's kind of a fringe rotation guy, you know, uh, maybe, uh, uh, kind of a swing big man off the bench for, for a, a borderline playoff team moving forward. You know, I, there's still quite a bit of upside there. He was a second round pick a couple of years ago and he played one year at Kentucky. And so we don't know for sure what he's going to be, but I think his lack of an outside shot limits him a little bit. Um, but he's a good passer. He can handle the ball a little bit. So I, I do think he's a rotation caliber player. Jade McDaniels, I, I do think he has superstar upside and potential. I mean, he was, if you look at mock drafts before last college basketball season, like fall of 2019, McDaniels was frequently mocked as like a lottery pick. Um, he was one of the best. He was a five-star high school recruit. And he started the college season really well. He just had a rough stretch in the Pac-12 once they started conference play. And it was a surprise he slipped to the Wolves at 28 or 26 or wherever they got him. Um, and so I, he still has that upside and he's shown flashes of that potential. Um, he's very raw, but he's also only 20 years old. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of upside there. So he's got the superstar potential. And I think we're seeing right now his floor is that of a really good defender who can do, you know, make spot up jumpers. And, and right now he's a pretty low usage guy offensively, but um his floor is, is reasonably high too. It's higher than I think anybody, including myself thought when they drafted him. And so he's got the highest ceiling of those guys and Jalen Noel is somewhere in the middle. I think that he is a rotation player in an NBA team. I think he's going to be a six man type. He's just, I mean, you know, you hear the cliche pure scorer or professional scorer. I mean, that's what he is. Um, Jalen Noel can score the basketball from all three levels, um, especially mid range and outside the arc. And I know his, his NBA three point shooting percentage hasn't been great, but you go back to his G league numbers and his college numbers, and he's consistently 44% up until he got to the NBA. And so that number is going to even out a little, he's going to be around 40%. Um, the only thing that is a question mark with him is, can he do anything else? Can he create for others? Can he rebound? Can he play defense? Um, and, and those has been, a, it's been a mixed bag. I think he's been better of late. He's been forced into a playmaking roles, kind of the de facto backup point guard with McLaughlin out for health and safety protocols and Russell out with the knee injury. So I think he's been forced to do more than just score. The question is, can he do it with consistency? Can he learn how to how to defend a little bit, how to rebound the ball consistently? Um, he's got fairly average size and athleticism. And so if he can do anything else, then I do think he could be like a six man type and maybe even a starter um, on a decent team. I, I think his scoring upside is that high. I mean, he scored the ball at every level, including he was Pac-12 player of the year just a couple of years ago. So um, I really like all three of those guys. And they're all a little bit miscast right now just because of the domino effect of you know, no backup point guard and McLaughlin and Russell being out and uh, Malik Beasley being out. I think once all that gets straightened out, those guys will all have roles, whether it's on the Wolves or somebody else, as rotation caliber players in the NBA. Yeah, I totally agree. And I I really like those guys in the roles that they've been deployed in recently. I love Jared Vanderbilt just coming in and giving that punch off of the off the at the start of games. And it's been really enjoyable for me to watch. I I'm personally a big Vanderbilt stan, but um I do want to talk about Anthony Edwards and the development we've seen from him. Um, obviously, you've probably seen a lot of stats that in the last five, six games, he's been like top 10 in the NBA and drives to the rim and baskets at the rim. And I mean, it's just making an enormous difference. He went from being a rookie who was an inefficient scorer, scoring like 15 points a game. All of a sudden, he's 
getting over 20 points every game. He's averaging, I think, 26 points over the last six games. So talk a little bit about that um, as far as the development of Anthony Edwards and the way he's been deployed recently and how that's improved him as a player tremendously. Yeah, I think, I mean, he's gotten a lot better in, in ball screen action. Uh, he wasn't, he wasn't, his points per possession were, were pretty poor in, in pick and roll situations earlier this season. And so I think it's partly a combination of, of giving him the ball more in those situations and allowing him to kind of work the kinks out and, and learn how to, how to operate in, a, in the pick and roll in the NBA. And he's simply becoming more comfortable. I, I also think, and this may be a, just a really simple explanation, but I think going back to his dunk against the Raptors, Raptors against, uh, uh, Watanabe a few weeks ago, about a month ago now, I really think that that in some ways was something of a catalyst And now he's got the confidence that, I mean, he'd had good games before then, but now he realizes like, Hey, guys don't want to jump with me anymore. They really don't even want to make contact with me at the rim, which is part of the reason he's not uh, drawing all that many fouls. And in a sense, he's become a little bit more fearless, just going at the basket and seeing what happens. And we saw him get, get, uh, you know, uh, banged around a little bit against Ennis Canner and, and he missed several minutes of that game with after the collision at the rim. And so we have to, you know, he has to be careful um, in terms of being too reckless. But I think there's a little bit of additional confidence and he was already super confident, but knowing that he can jump with anybody and nobody can really um, stop him at the rim. And, and I think as he plays more and more and gets more respect around the league, uh, correct or incorrect, he's going to get more foul calls as he, as he, carries a little bit more of that weight, that star power. Um, and he's going to get to the free throw line more often. And he's a 75, 80% free throw shooter, which helps a lot too. And then also the threat of the drive opens up the, you know, it gives him the opportunity to shoot more threes too. And, and we've seen that he's shot, I think 50% on threes. Um, maybe just, I think 50% from the field and, and maybe like 42% from three, uh, basically since the all-star break. And he doesn't need to be a 42% three point shooter. It'd be great if he was, but to that point this season, he'd been only about 30%. And if he can be somewhere in the middle in that 34, 35, 36% range and keep defenses honest, um, then that opens up, you know, that that opens up the drive a little bit more as well. Um, and so just being able to be multidimensional instead of only going downhill at the basket and trying to avoid contact and make a circus shot or only launch flat footed threes, which he's gotten into those ruts as well this year. Um, but since the beginning of the year, He's been great in dribble handoff action. He's been great in isolation situations because when he gets ahead of steam going to the basket, I mean, we saw this the other day uh, against the Lakers on Tuesday. Um, LeBron didn't have a great angle, but this was in transition. All LeBron could do is try and take a charge because he knew he was going to foul Edwards and couldn't get in front of him to block his shot. And he basically just stood still and tried to draw a charge. And Edwards just Euro stepped around him and scored at the basket. Um, I mean, he's that fast, he's that athletic, and there's a couple of those plays a game where he basically hits the turbo button like at midcourt. And and it honestly looks like if you just watched a game and were casually watching, you could tell that he is the most athletic and fastest guy in the court nine times out of 10, nine games out of 10, he's that guy. Um, it's just putting the rest of it together, finishing through contact, and then consistently having the, the proper shot selection. And then one of the other things that, actually, I, I think he struggled with lately is he's not playmaking as much as he was before because he's been so aggressive. And I think that's okay. I think we've seen that he can be a playmaker and the coaching staff probably just told him, Hey man, put your head down and go to the basket. Nobody can stop you. And, um, if that's truly the case and so far, it seems like it, then he can sprinkle in some playmaking. He can sprinkle in some three point shooting and he can be a really multifaceted unstoppable scorer. And, and of late, that's been really encouraging because that's exactly what we've seen in the four games since the all-star break. 
Yeah, and I do think it'll be really interesting once Malik Beasley and D'Angelo Russell are back to see that dynamic with him playing. I mean, he's barely played at all with all three of Malik Beasley, D'Angelo Russell, and Carl Anthony. Right. And to see him with that dynamic, with all that spacing around, I think it's going to be really fun. And I think it's going to be an adjustment again for him where he's all of a sudden going to just not have the ball in his hands as much because D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley, they're going to get their touches. Uh, they're going to get their shots. So that dynamic, I think, will be really interesting as well once those guys are back. So I do then just want to sort of wrap up and talk about, you know, as a Timberwolf fan, this is a difficult season, and to say the least. And because of that, I've sort of struggled with this all year, where I'm thinking to myself, you know, you start off the year two and one, and you're like, okay, you know, this is what we wanted. We, were, we know that we're probably going to lose the pick. We're going to be like a borderline you know, bubble team, you know, the on that play-in game kind of precipice. And I was kind of expecting that. And then obviously Carl Anthony Towns goes down, the rails fall off. So at this point, how do you reconcile, you know, having the Timberwolves first round pick this year is obviously Golden State owns it, but it's top three protected. So if the Wolves get that pick back, they would have to be pretty bad down the stretch. But, you know, how do you reconcile wanting to see the team win? You want to see your team win. You want to see your team improve, especially when it's a young team like this. How do you reconcile that with, well, it'd be really nice if we could just toss Evan Mobley in there at the four or, you know, put Kate Cunningham in there at the four and just that's the starting lineup then, right? How do you reconcile that? Yeah, I, I think part of it goes to, and actually um, over at Dunkin' with Wolves, where I'm one of the co-editors, somebody wrote an article, one of our writers did that posted um, this week about the two paths that the Wolves basically need to choose between and right now Gerson Rosas is trying to have it both ways with hanging on to the number one overall pick last year drafting Anthony Edwards yet he's still acquired a max contract player in D'Angelo Russell and he's still trying to build around Carl Anthony Towns and spent a lot of money on role of uh, uh, you know obviously a very good role player in Malik Beasley but there's all all these rumors about the trade deadline and are they going to trade for John Collins and Aaron or Aaron Gordon or Larry Nance Jr which which are all more win now moves than anything else because those are guys who are either have gotten paid or are about to get paid in the case of Collins. So I think Rosas has to make that decision of which direction he wants to go. And and my money is on them not making a major move at the deadline. I think they'll do something, whether it's an Ed Davis trade or a, you know, maybe an Akogi or a Culver trade, but I don't think that they'll make a major deal because I think they need to see what they have. Um, and it's too bad that that's where we're at, but sitting here today, I think as a fan that, that that's what you have to hope. That's what I'm hoping for as a fan is to see what this team has to see Russell get back to see Beasley come back from his suspension. And both should happen by the end of the month, by the end of March, and then see what you have with Carl Anthony towns with Chris Finch as the coach. He gets roughly six weeks to implement all of his stuff. When, once everybody gets back and see the talent you have on the roster, build trade value back up, you know, for a guy like Ricky Rubio, who's finally in shape and playing better um, after having a terrible first part of the season, he'll have trade value this off season as an expiring contract in a veteran point guard. And, um, a reasonable value, assuming he plays like he has recently and like he has the past couple of years and not like he did in the first 35 games this season. Um, you know, re, re, uh, rehab some trade value, maybe even for Jarrett Culver, maybe for Josh Okogie. And also then you can find out, hey, can any, any of these guys show me something? Can Culver show us something over the past 25, over the last 25 games of the season where he needs to stay on the roster? Um, because you can't bank on the Wolves getting the pick, there's roughly a 40% chance that they get to keep it if they finish in the bottom three, there's really no incentive in my mind to 
to take that risk because if you finish this season, you, you know, you win 18 games or something terrible like that, less than that 15 games, call it. Um, and then you don't get your pick. Now what, uh, are you trading towns? Are you trading everybody else? Like how, what are you selling to the fan base as a fan? It's discouraging. And, and truth, truthfully, I think that the roster isn't that terrible when everybody's healthy. I think they've got a good coach. I think they've been competitive even without Beasley and Russell over the past four games against some pretty good teams too. So, I think you have to see what the Wolves have over the next few weeks um, and not make a major splash at the deadline unless they get an outstanding, you know, they're able to pull something off where they're trading like Culver and Rubio for Aaron Gordon. And that's basically it or something like that. Um, I, I think you got to stand pat mostly see what you have the rest of the season. And if you get your pick still great. Um, if you don't, that's okay because hopefully you've won a few games and you feel good about Towns and Russell and Beasley as your big three moving forward. And if you still don't feel good about that, you can go out and try and get an Aaron Gordon this offseason and make a Rubio for Gordon swap for expiring deals this offseason and see how he fits and give him an extension if you want to. You could trade Malik Beasley if you decide he doesn't fit with Russell and Anthony Edwards. Um, you could trade D'Angelo Russell maybe. I, that maybe be a harder sell unless he has a great last couple months of the season. But I just think there's so many more options once you get to the offseason, even without the draft pick, than there are at this deadline. Um, and, and so I understand the, the struggle between, you know, how, how do you root? Um, but I think the fact that they're, even if they get it's even if they finish in the bottom three, they're more likely than not to lose the pick. It makes more sense to root for victories and just see what this team is and see if Carl Anthony Towns is the guy to build around and see if Anthony Edwards is the other guy to build around, and then go from there. I just think it's really hard to to cross your fingers and still hope for losing basketball. That's just a really difficult situation to be in as a fan, and, and it's it's dicey for the Wolves front office as well. Yeah, and I agree completely. I also think that, you know, as far as guys like Malik Beasley are concerned, there's nothing but good from those guys playing more. I mean, Malik Beasley's contract, initially, I was a little freaked out about it, especially with the outstanding legal situation at the time. At this point, his contract looks like a steal. It looks like the kind of thing where if you want to make a move, Malik Beasley's contract would be very easy to move. He is definitely, I think, playing above what he's being paid at this point. But I think that NBA fans have a tendency to get a little trade happy where they think, you know, if we can't get the number one pick or we can't get another superstar, it doesn't matter. That's all that matters. And it's there are ways, I think, to build a team other than that. And I think that that's sort of what you're saying is that, hey, like we've got a solid foundation here. We just haven't really seen it. Let's see it. And once we see it, then we can start to make evaluations. Does this actually work? But we haven't even, as you mentioned, we've seen Russell and Towns play five games together in the last 13 months since we traded for Russell. So, you know, we're going to have to see that play out as those guys start to come back and see how the team looks at that point before we can any, make any kind of real determination. At this point, there's no reason for the, in my opinion, there's no reason for them to trade for someone like John Collins or Aaron Gordon, because it's just something else you have to fit into right now to a team where you already are bringing in players that, haven't played under this coach that have barely played with certain teammates, all those kinds of things I think are a huge factor in that. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great way to look at it. I, I personally, and I've said this quite a bit on locked on wolves. I think that cons is a fantastic fit, but I mean, the Hawks are at this point going to be asking for something they're going to be asking for. You wouldn't think that they would ask for too much given that they're probably not going to resign him anyway. They're almost for sure not going to, but you still have to outbid anybody else that's interested. And, and my guess is they're going to be able to do better than Jarrett Culver and a, a protected 23 pick or whatever, but the Wolves aren't going to trade Edwards. And I don't know that I would trade Beasley in a deal for John Collins. So 
I just don't think a trade gets done. I think it's too complicated for for a guy like him. And Gordon won't cost quite as much. But but like I said before, I, I mean, is that worth it? I mean, it, it's going to trading for Gordon would improve the Wolves' defense, but the offensive fit is a little bit tenuous, and there's already some some question marks with how the pieces are going to fit when high usage guys like Edwards, Russell, and Beasley all play together on top of Towns, who obviously is going to get the ball more than anybody. Um, so yeah, I, I I do think that it's it's a it'll be really intriguing. I mean, we're only a week out from the deadline. It's intriguing to see what happens and what other kind of rumors pop up, um, and if and how many of these other how many of these guys are actually traded. Is Gordon traded somewhere else? Um, I I don't think he will be, and I I think Collins will be. I just don't think the Wolves are going to be able to to offer enough. And and I agree with you that that you know wait and see. It's too bad that there's only going to be 25 or so games left, um, but that's still enough to get a sense on top of what we saw at the end of last season with. You know Beasley and some of those guys playing. You know Russell to a lesser extent, but um, hopefully that's enough of a sample size to at least have a good feel for what this roster might look like when it's fully healthy. Totally agree with you on all points there, Ben. Um, so I think that's about all the time we've got for today, Ben. I want to thank you again for coming on. Why don't you tell us where people can find you and what you got going over on Locked On Wolves? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, uh, host of Lockdown Wolves podcast on the Lockdown Network. So uh, be sure to subscribe to that, obviously, in addition to Stewart's podcast and all the other great um, Timberwolves podcasts out there. Um, so you can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts there. And then also uh, follow on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves or at B Beacon, two B's, two E's, C K E N. And also, I'm the co editor at Dunking with Wolves, which is the Wolves site on the fan side of network. So be sure to check that out as well. All right, Ben, again, thanks so much for coming on. And thank you guys for listening to the inaugural episode of the Hoopball Minnesota Timberwolves podcast. Hope everyone has a wonderful day, and we'll see you later. This has been a Hoopball presentation.